Welcome to the Basketball and Brew podcast produced by Jude McLaren, and I'm your host, Dan Miller. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast, and please help us out by subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are watching, and please give us a follow on Twitter. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by sponsors both right here in beautiful San Marcos, Texas. Pie Society is an excellent stop in San Marcos for great New York-style pizzas made with the freshest ingredients, local beers on tap, and an overall fun and cool vibe. And come into Zellick's Ice House when in San Marcos for their happy hour drink specials, their outside patio, and great time, great vibes, and just an overall fun bar. Tonight, we're joined by a guest, Arkansas Fort Smith head basketball coach Jim Boone. Coach Boone has won 590 uh, career victories as an NCAA head basketball coach and turned around numerous basketball programs. During his career, Boone's teams have won eight conference championships, five tournament titles, and have made 12 NCAA tournaments appearances, while Coach Boone has been named the Coach of the Year seven times in different conferences. Coach Boone is a keynote speaker around the country on his motion offense, rebuilding programs, and what we're going to talk a lot about tonight, his pack defense. Coach Boone, thank you for coming on today, and welcome to Basketball and Brew. Coach, thank you. It's awesome to be here. I appreciate the chance to uh, talk a little basketball. Always look forward to that, and as we were talking off air there, it was great to hear that we had been at a clinic together and uh it's good to reconnect thanks for having yeah, me absolutely coach you know i remember i don't know why they asked me to speak at that clinic but i was there in the morning talking and <laughs> and stayed and watched you do a great job in the afternoon talking about pack defense so when i started this podcast uh right away i thought of getting you on here and talking some pack defense coach um, before we do, Coach, I just kind of wanted to just talk about career-wise. You know, you have 590 victories. That's obviously a lot, probably getting 600 this year, obviously. But um, besides all the victories, Coach, what are you most proud of in your coaching career? Oh, that's, a, uh, that's a great question. Um, I, without, without a doubt, the thing that I'm the most proud about upon is the number of young people's lives that we've been able to impact through this thing we call coaching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you, we just had Father's Day and you're getting calls and texts and tweets and things from former players uh, saying happy Father's Day and thank you. And, you know, you're, you're hitting them back and, you know, happy Father's Day to you as well. Um, uh, birthdays, Christmas, whatever it is, and just reconnecting with those guys. But at the end of the day, Coach, the most important thing that we all do is is we're trying to do our best to help our guys become better husbands, be- mm-hmm. better fathers, and better leaders in their own communities. And when I can see our guys going out and doing those things in their respective communities – um, that's what really makes me proud. That's what really pushes right. that hot button. And be honest with you, it's what keeps me going today. Right. Um, you know, it, it's uh, the basketball part of it. I love, and I like any of us that are in this game, I love the competition, but it's our players and it's the relationships yeah. you have with those guys. I love that, Coach, and and you've been coaching so long that I, I imagine you have a big list of players, you know, that have played for you that are now. Do you have some coaches in that that played for you who are now coaches? 
I have a ton of guys yeah. that are coaches. Love that. As much as I probably tried to discourage them, including <laughs> my own son. Right. Uh, but but a ton of guys that are that are coaching, and I couldn't be prouder of what they're doing to give back to right. their communities and to to young people everywhere. Right. That that's cool, Coach. And I wanted to touch on that with your son. We had Samson on here for the very first podcast, yeah. and we asked him about what it's like to coach under his dad as an assistant coach and coach together. And I guess it's the opposite for you as the head coach and your son as the assistant coach, but coach, what has that been like? You know, I was, it's funny cause this morning when I was working on a campus event, uh, somebody had asked me about that. They, Jimmy had introduced them. That's my son. He had introduced himself to, to the, to that individual. And, then they came up and said hello to me, and they said, "Wait a minute, you you two, that's your son. <laughs> you guys look right. alike. That's a poor guy." Uh, right. But but no, and they said, "You probably you probably been coaching him or been with him your whole life." And I have been. Um, and how blessed how blessed are is anyone to have that opportunity? Um, I've, I'm very fortunate. I've got two sons. I've been able to coach them both uh, at different times. Jimmy played for me in college, which was a tremendous, tremendous experience. Right. I, I really loved, I loved coaching him. Um, you know, and it, it was, everybody says you got to leave it at, leave it at the, uh, leave it on the court. Don't bring it home. But our family is a basketball family. Sure. And I can't tell you the number of times we'd come home and sit at the dinner and my wife is wanting to know well, what happened here. What, why did you, why did you take him out of the game right here? Jimmy's sitting there. You know, he handled it. He handled those things really, really well. But it was, I love doing that. But as much as I loved all that. Sure. It's, it's been even better working with him. And, right. you know, he's, he's married, has a, has a beautiful wife and they just had a gorgeous uh, child here. Almost, she'll almost a year old. We're, wow. we're getting close to that. And, um, to have both of them with Jimmy in our lives and a part of what we're doing every day and him in my office every day and we're conferring on things and deciding sure. what we're going to do and yep. what have you. And it's, uh, it's been even better and more fun than it was when I was coaching it. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's that's really special, Coach, and I I love that for you. And we're the same way here. We're a basketball family. You know, it's it's been a little bit when our kids played, but it's tough to leave it at the door. But uh, you know, you bring home because y'all are talking basketball. My wife's everyone. We're all talking basketball. Is what we do we're here. We're all too. basketball people. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, and it's almost impossible to leave at the door. Yeah. And I don't know that I would want to leave it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 fun having that in that sure. common denominator that we can uh, yeah. share as a family. Yeah, it's, it's great. I love that about, about being able to be with your son and have him on staff. That would be a really special thing and great. happy for you guys with that. Coach, can I ask, before we go into some defensive stuff, I, I know you have, you've been coaching a, a long time and you have great coaches that, that you know who are friends, who are Hall of Famers. You have coaches who have influenced you over time, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, uh, being from Wisconsin, I know one of them is, is Dick Bennett, who's a big influence on my life. Um, right. Can you talk about, Coach, some of those coaches that, that you really look into over your career? Well, I don't know that anyone who has influenced me more than what my junior high basketball coach wow. did, Alan Osborne. Um, we still talk probably 
two to three times a week, if not oh, more today. That's great. Uh, he's still coaching, which is amazing. He just, he loves it. He loves impacting kids and, mm-hmm. and he's won a state title this year in West Virginia and the winningest coach. And I think the winningest active coach in, in the state. Wow. Um, so yeah, he's been the most influential, but there's some other guys along the way that have really impacted my career mm-hmm. and helped to, you know, you take a little bit here and a little bit there and, and, and guys like Dick Bennett, who you mentioned has had a major impact, particularly from, I tell you what, really on both sides of the basketball, um, you know, with base, uh, his offensive approach and his defensive approach and they go Mm -hmm. hand in hand. Um, Bob Knight, when I had an opportunity to, to meet coach Knight, to watch his teams, to watch his teams practice, um, I just, I could just feel that sense. This is, this is how you want to do it in terms mm-hmm. of his teaching sure. and his ability to, um, for, to, to take a team and build it together and take it from A to Z. Rick Majerus, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anybody that's been a better teacher of basketball. Right. And, and it, it, just list sitting down and listening to coach Majerus is, is absolutely amazing. But probably of all those guys, um, other than my my coach, the guy that had the greatest influence on me is Don Meyer. Mm. Um, coach Meyer, I was blessed to get to know him on a personal level early in my career, and uh, we became friends and were able to share things throughout the years. And so I don't know anybody that's given more back to coaches right. than Coach Meyer has done. Right. Right. Coach, fabulous group there. And you're so right with Coach Meyer. When I I was a GA at Southwest Minnesota State and we played their northern state teams. And I just remember looking at the team and seeing them warm up and thinking, man, we're going to get this team. You know, I think that we have a little more talent. (laughs) Oh, Coach, let me tell you, they took it to us because, I mean, they just did everything right. Their guys did everything hard. They, it was just a clinic. And then that's when I kind of, as a very young coach, learned who Coach Meyer was. Great, great teacher, great, great coach, uh, great strategist, mm. and better person. Wow. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and you're right, Coach, about sharing the game. And that's something that you do also a lot, obviously, putting stuff out on social media, putting stuff out on Twitter, making videos. Coach, how does that make you feel just giving back? And, and when you maybe see a team or get a text or, or email from a, a high school coach saying, hey, I, I did this or I caught this from your clinic. And does it feel good to share the game like you do, Coach? It's another avenue, uh, Coach, that I thoroughly enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so fortunate in my career, as I've already mentioned, you know, to have to have a guy like Bob Knight who kind of took me under his wing and I worked his camps and mm-hmm. went to his academies and he paid special attention to me. And, uh, you know, as a young guy, you're I mean, that's you're, oh, you're just like, wow. Yes. Um, Coach Meyer, you know, uh, used to stay at his his house with him and his family and go mm-hmm. to go watch uh, him. Uh, whether it was his camp, his uh, his uh, academy that he yep. ran in the summer, mm-hmm. his post and perimeter development camps, which were awesome as a young coach to go to and just learn the teaching yes. that was being involved there. That Dick Bennett, all those guys, they were they were great to share. Sometimes I think we lose that a little bit today, mm-hmm. and 
it used to be in those days, I mean, you, you, you just pick up the phone and, you know, talk, you couldn't email. You, yeah. You yeah, sure. Actually oh. talk. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, you know, I'd like to come and watch practice. And sure. I, I can tell you this, of all the uh, college programs that I've went to watch practice and work out, I've never had a coach tell me you can't do that. Mm-hmm. I've never had a coach tell me no. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we want to do it as well. Yep. We want to be able to give back to coaches as much as we can. Um, yep. You know, it's not like we have the uh, – you know, the lock and, and key on the vault of knowledge of basketball, but whatever we do have, we're willing to share and we want to provide it to coaches. And if we can help in some little way, and we're here to do that. Right, right. And I know something that's become a, a huge thing for many years, wherever you are the head coach is the fall uh, clinic that you put on coach. And I know many people, uh, friends who've learned so much from that clinic. Can you just talk about when you do that and, and kind of why you do that? Again, it's it's to give back to coaches. I mm-hmm. think it's a great way for us to share our program. I think it's great for our student athletes, for our mm-hmm. players, to have an opportunity to be a part of that. It's something that Coach Meyer did, and I always admired and and wanted to do it. And once we were able to get it going, we started it back when I was the head coach at California University of Pennsylvania. We've continued okay. it in some shape or fashion throughout all these years. And we really haven't missed a year, I don't know, for 25, 30 years. We even had the good fortune that we were able to run it during the uh, the COVID year. COVID year. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I told somebody the other day, we've had, we've had, you know, we've had as many as 250 plus coaches coming from everywhere from New York to Florida, from California and in between and overseas coaches, uh, We've had a ton of coaches come from Mexico up to, to, to see our clinic. Um, and it doesn't matter if we have that many or we have some years we've had 20, 25 coaches. Sure. We're going to do it the same regardless. Right. We're going we're gonna to give you everything we got within a very short period of time and try to leave you with uh, every, every question answered and anything that you uh, may want when you come to see us. Um, the clinic this year, it's always that we try to run it in the beginning of October yep. and it's October 7th and 8th this year is our free fall clinic. Anybody that's interested, right. just email me and we'll get you a flyer. So yep. love to have you. Yep. Wonderful coach. We'll drop a link or something also after when we oh, post perfect. this. Appreciate so- it. Coach, I love that, and I, that's why we do this. We love sharing the game, talking knowledge about basketball. And, Coach, let's let's dive in a little bit with, with defense. I know we could go either way because you're known for your motion offense, of course, too. But I really wanted, and, and a lot of people wanted me to talk defense with Coach Boone. So the, the first question I have, Coach, kind of a novice question, but just can you talk about what the pack line defense, you know, what it is and what are the things you're trying to take away if, if you're running great pack line defense? Absolutely. Um, the, the coach, the first thing I would say is this, um, I, I would give all the credit in the world to coach Bennett, who you've mentioned and I've mentioned already coach Dick Bennett. Uh, I say coach Bennett, he's the father of the pack line. Okay. Defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've put our, our twist to it. We've put our, our style to it, who we are, what we do, but everything we do, um, are things that we were very fortunate to learn from coach many years ago. He's one of the guys, uh, short story. I was a, um, 
I was a guy that played up the line, on the line, denied everything, fought you for every single inch of the court, didn't want to give you anything, didn't want to let you make a pass, didn't definitely didn't want to let you reverse the basketball. Sure. And um, I took the job at Robert Morris University, which is a small Division One in Pittsburgh yep. in the Northeast Conference, and we inherited um, a program that was really down, like we've, we've kind of fallen into, that we get a lot of those. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, when I got there, we went through the first two or three. In those days, you couldn't do anything until October 15th. Right. Like and, Division uh, three basketball now, like we were talking exactly. about. Exactly. We yeah. could run. We could lift. We could play, pick up. But we weren't yeah. allowed to be in the gym. And Sure. Anyway, to make a long story short, um, we practiced a couple of days. And I, we there's just no way. We're not going to be able to play that way with this team. And so I called Coach Bennett, talked to Brad Soderberg, who was his mm-hmm. assistant at the time. And, oh. and they uh, they said, yeah, come on out. So I, I practiced our team to like Thursday morning at 6 a.m. and got in the car and drove to Madison from Pittsburgh to Madison, Wisconsin, and camped out there and watched them practice uh, Friday and uh, a couple times on Saturday and again on Sunday. And that's where we developed the foundation. Okay. We were doing with pack line defense. We were just okay with it at very best because here's the deal. Anybody, anybody can play a gap oriented defense, Mm -hmm. but the pack line is about creating a defensive culture. It's about mindset, a belief system. It's got to be who you are. And, you know, obviously whenever you're creating a culture uh, part of your job as a leader is to not only live that culture every day. Mm-hmm. So whether it be in practice and how we start practice, we're, we're always going to start with something defensive oriented. Um, uh, you know, the decisions I make, every decision we make is based upon, can we make our defense better um, to, you know, to, uh, to just making sure that we're doing a good job of selling it to our players and that sure. they understand this is the best vehicle for us to ride to success. And one of the things I love is when we get our former players or guys that are at the end of their career saying, coach, there's no better way to play than backline defense. That's mm-hmm. what, and I know we've done a good job with those guys, but right. what we're trying to accomplish is basically just protect the lane. And right. that's not a, um, it's funny that's something that guys don't want to talk about as much today because of the advent of the three-point shot. And if anything, Coach, I think we have a tendency to be a little bit too fearful of the three-point shot because at the end of the day, games are still won in the paint. Sure. Um, you know, we just were, were fortunate to see a great six-game series between the Warriors and the Lakers. And if I'm not mistaken, I know that at least five of them were, but I believe all six games were won by the team that led in paint points. Not the team that hit the most threes necessarily, but the team right. that scored the most points in the paint. So that that in a nutshell is what we're trying to do. We're just trying to keep the ball out of paint to force you into shooting very tough contested twos. Now, we don't want to yep. give up walk-in threes. We're trying to take that away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to – we. Our decisions have been made around trying to take away the paint first and foremost. And that, yep. as I always tell our players when we start practice, uh, I've made that decision. We made that's been made a long time ago, and now everything we do from is going to stem from that. Right, right. I like that, Coach. And can I ask, just at the very start of a possession, once a team 
Uh, once the shot goes up, can I ask, when you are on offense, are you sending two back, one back, just to get that defensive transition started? So just looking at it from a defensive transition standpoint. It depends on who we're playing with. Okay. But here's what we do. We'll line up our group in the very beginning of the year. And and if we're not sure about a guy, we'll tell him we're not sure that we're going to evaluate him as as practice goes on. And then we'll we'll make that final assessment. But we tell our guys you're either a get-back guy, which mm-hmm. means you're getting back on the rise of the shot, or you're a rebounder. And it doesn't matter where they end up on the court, where they're positioned, uh, you know, if they're on the top, on the wing, on the baseline, whatever. You're either a get-back guy or you're a rebounder. And the majority of the time, we're probably playing with a lineup that consists of three get-back guys okay. and two rebounders. Now, I think – Dan, that really helps us in two ways. Number one, it helps us to take away the other team's opportunity to get fast break layups because we've got the lane protected. Yep. But number two, it really enhances our opportunity to get to the offensive glass because we don't have guys trying to 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 guess. Am I am I supposed to be a rebounder here? Or am I supposed to be a get back guy? No, yeah. I know I'm a rebounder, so I'm going to go to that glass and 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 attack it with. Um, relentlessness to get that that offensive rebound and give my team another chance now, that's one of the things we've changed a little bit here in, in in the last several years we used to send guys sprinting all the way back immediately but what we did our get back guys but what mm-hmm. we do with them now is we'll take a step or two and drift back to kind of see what's going to happen because if we're going to get a long rebound it'll tip out to us yep. or if we get an offensive rebound that you know the best three-point shot comes off of an offensive rebound kicked yeah. out a lot of the time sure and we want to be there for that and then as soon as we see what's transpiring that we're not going to get that rebound or what have you we're getting to paint right then okay i, I like that coach too a lot of times kids or, or players get caught in that gray area do i go in for the offensive rebound or do i, I you agree. know and and then they yeah. don't do either <laughs> they don't do either good so amen Amen. Yeah. You're exactly right. 100% correct. So yeah. we've played we've played with as many as uh, as four rebounders and one get back guy, even though that's mm-hmm. very very rare. And we've played with as many as four get back guys and one rebounder. And that's probably almost as rare as the reciprocal to that as I just spoke sure. to. But uh, most of the time, it's going to be either two get back guys and three rebounders or three. Uh, uh, get back guys and two rebounders. But the one thing I don't, I want them to be able to do is to know from the, from day one throughout the season, this is your role. You're going to be a rebounder and I want you to go rebound. Yep. And you're going to be a, uh, a guy that we want to get back on defense and be ready to stop the other team. Okay. I like that coach. And when they have the ball and coming up the court, where's your pickup area on the ball coach do you it does it depend on personnel or do you have a set pickup line well we've been fortunate that uh you know at being at division two pretty much all the courts we play on have a volleyball line on them mm-hmm. and so we want to pick up at least by that volleyball line as the ball is coming down in conversion okay. now if it is a if it is a walk-up situation and we have guys that are capable we'll pick you up at half court now once the ball is entered into play whether it's dribbled up and passed or 
it was a fast break that didn't materialize and they threw it back out to start their offense. We have what we call a heat up line. Mm-hmm. And it's just, if you take the old coaching box and draw a line across the floor, and it's going to be probably about two to three steps above the top of the key. That's where we want uh, our, our heels to be. And we don't want to go out further than that. And the reason is very simplistic. If we're all the way out in a half-court possession, picking a guy up at half-court, and now he makes that pass to the wing because we're not denying the wing, mm-hmm. we have too much distance to travel to get off of the ball and get into our gap as the defender of the man who passed it. And so right. we don't, you know, we, we, we try to keep our defense as tight as we can. And we feel like that heat up line allows us to do to pressure the ball, which is of paramount importance yep. to take away shots. But one of the most important things in any defensive system, I, I believe as I've been through the years is your ability to get on and off the basketball. Right. Uh, whether you're a denial team and you're, you know, you know, you're uh, you're jumping to the ball and and reestablishing denial, or you're a uh, pack line team like us and you're getting off the ball and getting into a gap, or you're going from the gap and closing out to the basketball. Your ability to do those two things as quickly as possible are, are of, of of key importance to the success of your defense. Right. Coach, and common terminology maybe is is the kind of jump to the ball or move on air flight. What is the terminology you like to to say to your guys when the ball is being passed around? Uh, if we're if we're guarding the basketball and we're going to get in our and it's passed, then we're going to turn and sprint mm. into the gap. We don't okay. want to slide. We don't want to meander. Yep. If we do those things, it's going to take us too long. Again, it's the importance of getting on to off and off to on as quickly as possible. So we're going to sprint into that gap. Now, once we get into the gap, we, and we're we're, we're very particular with this, Sure, we like to keep a slightly closed stance. Okay. So that we're helping in the terminology we use is that we're helping with near arm, near leg. So if I was guarding you and you were at the top of the key and you pass it to the right wing, and I'm sprinting back into my gap. Uh, I'm slightly closed with my left hand and left foot forward. I mean, my right hand and right foot. That'd be my left hand, left foot forward. I got turned around there. Uh, so if the wing did try to drive it into the middle, I'm helping near arm, near leg to right. seal my gap and force the next pass. Sure, sure. I like that, Coach. And that, that led me to my next question is the guys who are one pass away what is your terminology? Is it just being in a gap stance, a, a closed stance? Do you have specific teaching points that you're going to tell the one pass away guy in that gap? We want it to be in a slightly closed stance. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your job is to see, uh, and, 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 you know, really this is the best way to describe it. You've got to follow these rules. Mm-hmm. We're going to put a pack line on the floor. Yep. And it's just a dotted line we put down on the court. And I tell coaches all the time at clinics, I think it's really important that you put that line down because players are visual yep. and they need to see. And you can just go to go to Lowe's and buy some blue painter tape, and that will go on your court, and it won't bother the varnish, and it won't upset mm-hmm. your AD or your administration. Right. And, uh, and you can just peel it right back up when you need to. But what it does – it gives your players an opportunity to see this is the line. And we just put a dotted line out there so they get a visual. Sure. Okay. So 
here, here's what we want to accomplish. When you're a non-ball defender and you're in the pack, you need to be two feet, two feet in the pack. Now we like one of those feet to be on that pack line, but okay. two feet, two feet in the pack. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's first thing. Yep. Second thing is we need to be in a slightly closed stance, and we want to see both man and ball. Mm-hmm. You, if you're losing sight of one, then you've got to readjust your position up or back so that you can see both. You, you've got to see. You've got to constantly be able to see both. And then finally, I want to be closer to the basketball than the person I'm guarding. So now if I was guarding you again, then you were at the top of the key and you pass it to the wing. I want to be closer as a defender to the ball on the wing than you are if you haven't moved as the offensive player on the top of the key. Yep. Now, those three rules are easy to follow for stationary players. The problem comes into effect when the ball is moving and then you yep. incorporate screening and cutting and all those kind of things. Yep. And we've got a couple of drills that we use to work on that. But um, that's where it's imperative that your players see both man and ball. Right. Right. That makes total sense, Coach. I, I like that terminology there. And I love having that line down if you're running the pack. Can I ask, Coach, going back when the ball is in the middle, do you influence a certain way? We do not. Now, okay. I know there are coaches that really feel strongly about forcing it left or forcing it to a player's weekend. I think that's a little bit too difficult um, for our players to. I found it's too difficult. Maybe it's too difficult for me to coach, but I found it's too difficult for our players to, to execute. So we just want to keep the ball in front. Yep. We want to put as much pressure as we possibly can and keep the ball in front. And the same thing occurs if it's on the wing. We want to keep the ball in front. Now, to accomplish that, what we tell our guys is we want the back of your head and your spine should be facing the rim. The, the mouth of the rim. If you're yep. if you've got that part of your body to the rim, then you're square. Um, when the one thing that I do get a little bit um, uh, a pet peeve about is when a player, if the ball starts to beat me, how players have a tendency just to open up and almost usher the ball to the rim. Mm-hmm. I want to reestablish and stay square with that player so that my shoulders are parallel with half court if I'm guarding the ball on the top. Right. Uh, where where I'm staying kind of parallel if you can if I don't I'm probably not saying this properly, but you would stay along the pack line along that arc and not sure not force to the baseline or force to the middle. Now we're telling guys no baseline. That's one of we have seven things that our guys know are are non negotiables. They're within the order of things for me, the things that really upset me if they go haywire. Sure. And our guys know that, and that's part of creating a defensive mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one of those things is no baseline. Uh, can I? We're not going to give up baseline. So that coaches always said, well, do you force middle? No, we do not force middle. I do not want to force middle. But I'm just telling you, you cannot give up the baseline. Yep. Now you figure it out. Yep. I, I love to be as exact as possible in our teaching. I don't like to leave a lot of um, – I don't I don't want to uh, leave gray area yep. as a teacher. But with that being said, I think some of it is your players have to figure it out. Sure. Here it is. You've got to teach – part of our job is to teach them how 
right? Hey, Jude, I think Coach might have froze right here. Oh, I think he, Coach froze, but I think we'll get him back on, maybe. It just froze up. He was just in a teaching point. There you go, Coach. I got you back. Oh, I'm, I apologize nope. for that. I don't know what happened. Um, nope. Coach, you're getting excited talking defense. It just froze the system. That's well, all. Well, that can happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. So heat yeah. it up a little bit. Heat it up. Yep. Uh, what the the thought I had or was um, relaying was the uh, not forcing middle, and we don't force middle, but we're just telling them that we can't give up the baseline. And, right. You know, part of our job as coaches is teaching our guys um, how to make decisions, whether yes. those are good offensive decisions or good defensive decisions. And to do that, you have to play. Yep. You know, I, I get a little bit. Um, yeah, I just, you know, a lot of our guys, they, they, they're so into the day, training with a trainer. Yeah. And they do all this cone work and yep. and one on the O work, and I tell them all the time, man, you can beat the heck out of that cone and make great decisions when there's nobody in the gym. I want to see you win. You're two on two, three on three, four on four, and five on five, and you've got to make really good decisions with and without the basketball. Yes, yes, I I like that a lot, Coach. Um, one thing you said about the middle, I really agree with. Is I know some coaches it works for them, but I'm the same way. Is if we say we're going to force two as we can, then you got to figure out what's as we can. Then you say you're, when the ball's in the middle, and then if you say you're going to force him left, and then he's a right-handed player or left or a left-handed player, that you know. So just taking that out of the thinking out of that part of it, I like that just straight up in the middle on him. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's good stuff. And and another thing too, coach, what you said too about just the guys, you you lay it out for them. I love that. And they have to figure it out. I heard the Tennessee uh, women's head coach talking about this. She said, she told them one practice, she said, you guys have to take, keep the ball out of the paint. I'm not going to tell you any rules or anything. It was summer practice, but figure that shit out basically. And, and <laughs> that's what she said, kind of paraphrasing, yeah. but, but she said they just kept so hard to keep it out of the paint. And she said it was kind of them teaching it, you know, and figuring it out what we wanted without them, you know, kind of having that exact instruction on defense. So it's finding that line, Coach, which, which I know you do a great job of. Coach, I did want to ask the next question about screening game. So um, I guess it's a generic question, but non-ball screens, do you switch or, or do you keep matchups? Or how do you get through if you're keeping matchups? Uh, another really good question. Um, and when I started today and talked a little bit about my time in my first 10 years of coaching at Cal PA, when we fought for every square inch of the floor, we mm -hmm. switched uh, all like screens. So perimeter, mm -hmm. perimeter screens, we switched and big to big screens, we switched. Mm -hmm. um, and that was very effective because of how we were playing to deny and forcing the ball baseline. But once we converted to pack line, I loved it because we don't switch. We want to maintain the integrity of our matchups. Sure. So is it harder at times? Yes, no doubt about it. But uh, it's only harder from the standpoint that we have to teach and we have to coach. Mm -hmm. And it's not just uh, throwing them out there and say, do this. Um, and not the teams that switch don't coach the heck out of it because they, they sure do. But um, in, in our deal, we're going to guard your we're going to guard actions from the very first day that we start practice 
And for us, that's usually in September at some point. So the first day we start practice, we're going to guard actions and we're going to be guarding those actions all through our season uh, so that we get better and better and better. And the reasoning being that we don't want to switch coaches. We want, I want my best on ball defender guarding your best playmaker. I want my best guy at contesting shots or my best guy at taking away a really good shooter guarding that shooter. And I found that when one of the issues we ran into when we switched a lot was that, okay, we went through all this deal about a matchup and I'm guarding a guy who's a great shooter. And the next thing I know, the first six times down the court, they run a screen for him where I'm switching to a driver and I'm not guarding that shooter anymore. And I'm trying to keep up with, well, who's this guy I'm guarding? What does he do? (laughs) So rather than trying to understand that on the fly, I think it's easier when you can teach guys, um, this is who you're guarding. We're not switching. And you've got to understand these are the things we're going to give you two, three things tops that you can do to influence that person and hopefully take the better parts of his game away. So a big part of our scouting report isn't your set plays and, you know, how many, what you call them or how you run them and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, a big part of our scouting report now is your personnel. Personnel. want to guard you. Yep. And more importantly, because this is what it really comes down to, is how we're going to close out to you. Okay. We're going to close out to you, a Ray Allen closeout, or maybe today you would refer to it as a Steph Curry closeout because you're a great three-point shooter. Right. Is it a Kobe closeout because you can do both things equally well, drive it and shoot it. Right. Is the Rondo close out because you can only uh, drive it and you can't really shoot the basketball? Um, you know, so you, you, you get, or is it a dead three close out, you know, where somebody, you got to get on them and make them put the ball on the floor. Yep. So we, we've got to figure those things out. That's kind of the Steph Curry close out. Sure. Twice, but yeah. Sure. I, I like that coach. And so then just staying with scouting report just for a little bit, then you yeah. guys are personnel is the, probably the biggest part of that you're saying more than the actions. And I know that sometimes, um, and coaches have different ways to do that. And, and I agree with that too. That's what we try to do at places that I coach too, is really know that personnel, know who their shooters are, know who their, you know, weapons are, they put it on the floor, et cetera. But coach, do you get caught up? I'm always curious in this question a little bit. Do you get caught up in calls? Because hell, I, I find most of our players barely remember our calls. So how how deep do you get with how deep do I'm, you get with that? Coach, coach, I'm right there with you. Okay. I'm right there with you. Okay. Uh, no, we don't get caught up in yeah. calls. If there's one or two things we can give our guys that we think that would help them as cues that if you hear this, expect this to happen, then yes. But we're as you said, first of all, we're personnel driven. Then secondly, mm-hmm. is, tra- is trying to defend tendencies. And everybody sure. has tendencies, good, right. bad, or ugly. They have tendencies. Yes. Um, so if we're guarding a team that relies a lot on screen to screener, then then that week in practice, we're going to work some screen to screener uh, actions so that our guys are adept with everybody guarding everywhere to guard that. If uh, if you're a ball screen centric team. Uh, we're going to we're going to spend our and I'll say this. I think that right now defensively and not to get off, off target here, but no. right now defensively, one of the most important things we want to guard the things that happen the most. Yes. Practice the things that happen the most. Everybody is so ball screen 
centric now yes. that we will start garden ball screens in September. Yep. And unlike a lot of teams, a lot of programs, we're only going to guard them a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. And we stick with those. And we, our thought is, is that by the time we get to, you know, when it counts the most, February and March, we've been doing it the same way. We haven't tried to guard it seven or eight different ways. We've done it the same way throughout right. the season. We're going to be a heck of a lot better at it. Right. And coach, that leads me to my next question was going to be about ball screens, but staying with what you said about how your philosophy is. And then I want to ask you how you guard them. There's a great football coach in Texas, Gary Joseph. And I heard him talk once. He's a coach for Katie high school and he's fabulous. And he said, coach, he's fabulous. But what he said is, you know, I see all these coaches and they do their thing and they have a million plays and, and we have like, I don't know what he said, but we have eight but we're going to be excellent at all eight and we're going to do them right. You know, and I, it's, I, there's something to that being great at what you do rather than being good at a million things. Uh, I would wholeheartedly agree. There's a great NBA example, you know, Jerry Sloan, who was the coach of the Utah jazz with Carl Malone and, mm-hmm. and John Stockton and um, the great shooter. Uh, I can't think of his name. Hornacek, right maybe. Hornacek, yeah. There yep. you go. Um, you know, he said, I heard him say a number of times, we have seven plays. Mm. We have seven plays. And that's it. And meanwhile, you got NBA teams running, you know, 100 plus plays. And mm-hmm. I'm with you. Our guys would have difficulty remembering, you know, we don't run a lot of plays either. So mm-hmm. we're just not a, we're not a set play team and we don't try to take away the other team's set plays. Sure. And your guys know what they're doing. And know, speaking of knowing what they're doing on these ball screens, Coach, and I watched some synergy. You guys do a great job with the hedge. But can I ask just what are what is your number one defense? And then kind of can you talk through the little bit of the terminology of that ball screen defense? We divide ball screens into two distinct areas. They're either okay. side ball screens or middle ball screens. Okay. That's yep. simple. Mm-hmm. Middle ball screens are anything that happens in the middle third of the floor, pretty much designated by the uh, just outside the lane lines extended. Side ball screens are anything on the side of the floor, the outside thirds of the floor. If it's a side ball screen, then we we want to we're going to momentarily trap. We're getting over top of all ball screens. We don't give our guys a choice. Uh, we are our our thought. Dan, is that we are not going to let the ball beat us. We want to take the ball out of the equation and force you to beat us with someone who's not as comfortable doing so. Mm-hmm. So if we can if we can get out and momentarily trap that with a hard hedge, we, we, that's what we do call it. We call it a hard show. Okay. Um, then And then force you to give up the basketball. Then we feel like we've, we've done a pretty good job with that. Um, the true trick of guarding ball screens it's not those two men. Those two men can use those two defenders usually can do their job pretty well. It's the other three because ball screen defense is a five man proposition. And I feel like the most important guy to that is we call him the fifth defender. And for instance, if we had a uh, side ball screen with a corner field, so we got a two side basically. Now we've got a good tag man because he's a corner man who's lifting. Okay. And he's kind of our fit defender initially yep. in that. He's the guy that's going to end up, as the ball comes off the screen, he's going to be yep. the guy that's the furthest away from the ball. But if that corner was empty and the other, the reverse side of the floor's corner was filled, 
then that guy becomes our tag man. He's our, we call him a low man because he is the fifth defender. He's the guy that's the furthest away from the basketball. And so I think it's really important that our guys have the ability to conceptualize and understand that and understand the decision-making in it. So our three uh, non-ball, off-ball defenders, they're zoning up. And they're basically not guarding men per se. They're guarding an area. And our two, our screener defender and our ball defender are taking care of the screen. Yep, yep. I like that coach, and and they know their assignment. What does the the uh, player that's how, how? Let me ask this, coach. How do you get your guys to go over the top so good? You know, I mean, it's tough because the easy way is just to go under, but but you want them going over the top. That that's the assignment. How do you get them to go over the top, coach? Well, number one, we're going to demand it. Yeah. Okay, yep. you've got to do that. If you don't do it, we're going to keep doing it until you do it right. Yep. Um, and I learned that a long time ago from a coach that I played for. You're you're gonna you're gonna keep doing it till you do it right. Sure. Um, and we have three rules for those guys that are very simplistic. As soon as you know that you're going to be screened, okay. And you're we want a body up, body in, body over. Uh, okay, I like that. Body up, body, up, body, body in, body yep. over. Body up yep. means I'm going to get up into the ball. Body in means I'm forcing it into the screen. I cannot allow the ball to reject me. And body over means I'm getting over top of the screen. The fact that we're either hard hedging in the middle of the floor or we're level show, or hard hedging on the side of the floor and level showing in the middle of the floor, our guard's responsibility, I should say our ball's responsibility, ball defender's responsibility, does not change. He is always getting over that screen. Mm-hmm. Always. Yep. Yep. I like that, Coach. I love that body up, too, because that's that sometimes is the problem is is the screen comes in and they're not up on them, and then, you know, they just go. I like that. That's, exactly. That, yep. Exactly. That, that's great stuff, Coach. Coach, I got this is really wonderful defensive uh, talk here, Coach. I really appreciate your time. Um, just a couple more questions, Coach. My, my first one is just on the help defense on these drives. Uh, when the, the ball is, I know you, you don't want to give up or, or influence middle, but you definitely are not letting it go baseline. But when the ball is driven middle, what is the terminology on, on help? Do they lose sight of their man and just fully commit to help and wall up? Uh, can you just talk through a little bit of your guys who are coming over to help on penetration? That's another really good question. And again, uh, let's talk about the ball defender first. You know, his job is not to give up baseline. And if it starts in the middle, to try to level that dribble off. Here's how he's going to do that. He's not going to be able to accomplish that by sliding with the guy. If I'm mm-hmm. sliding with you and you're driving the ball and you got your head down and going, you're going to beat me every time. Sure. So as soon as I understand that this guy's gaining great, you know, he's beating me. I'm getting beat here. We say you got to get off and get ahead. So I gotta I gotta get off the ball and I gotta sprint to get ahead. I can't ride his hip. I'm not t- riding him to the rim. I'm gonna get off and I and I'm gonna pick out a point that's ahead of where he's going and I'm gonna take that point away. Yep. That that is, is the beauty of the pack line defense. It's it's so it's I hate to be this uh, corny so to speak, but it's beautiful to watch sure. the guys execute it correctly. Yep. My help defender is helping near arm near leg. So he can still see both because if that man would cut back door, he's going with him. Okay. If his man would cut yep. back door, he's going sure. with him. So yep. he's helping near arm, near leg, and 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 he's already in help. That's the key to pack line defense. Yep. Those help guys, that's why we put them in the pack. 
We want, we're, we're not a help and recover team. You know, we, we are a recover team. We're yep. already in help. We're yep. already there. So yep. as you drive, I'm already in that gap. And my guy that you were beating is getting off and getting ahead and reestablishing his position on the basketball so that I can then recover. And that's where the decision-making comes into effect, that it takes time and working with your players to teach them uh, through two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, and five-on-five so they can get a feel for that and understand it. Yep. I like that, Coach. Uh, one question about ball side corner threes. That sometimes uh, teams will try to attack that. And I, I, I'm kind of guessing what, I, what you're going to say, but um, is not let the ball go that way, right? To be driven towards the baseline. But if they, if they drive that way, do you help in from the, with that one pass away from the corner and give up with that corner three? Or, or is, that, is that something that you already have in place? How do you handle that kind of penetration? As a rule, yes, we're still in the gap. We're not mm -hmm. necessarily helping in. I don't want it to be a two-part move where I've got to leave my gap and help into the basketball to stop the ball. And now all of a sudden I got to change momentum and recover to my man. The big part about being a gap defender is that I'm already in help. So when you drive it, you're driving right into me. So all I have to do is recover, close out to my okay. man if you pass it to him. So that's the first thing. Okay. The second thing is, is that I understand who I'm guarding in that corner. You know, is he a Reggie Miller or a Steph Curry? Mm -hmm. Is he a, yep. you know, is he a Kobe? Is he a Rondo that's going to drive that? Is he, you know, here lately, is he a Westbrook that, yep. that can't throw a three in to save his life? You know, mm -hmm. is he a guy I've got to take the drive away from? So I've got to figure that I've got to know who I'm guarding. Now, as a rule, I, I want to guard it just the way I've told you. Yep. Occasionally, if we're guarding just a great player, like if we were guarding Steph Curry, and we might say, okay, we'll live with this guy driving it on us and us recovering to get in front of him not to give up that three to Curry. That's a that's a judgment you've got to make as a coach. Sure. But we're teaching this. We're going to definitely be in that gap and force the next pass. You nailed it right from the beginning. Don't get beat to the outside. Yeah. Don't get beat to the baseline. If yeah. you don't get beat there, we don't have that issue to deal with. Right, right. I like that, Coach. Everyone's accountable in the defense. Coach, last, last question um, with basketball here. What does – high school kids who come in and who maybe haven't played the pack, but you recruit them because you see the upside and, and you want them to come be a lion. What is the hardest for, thing for them to grasp uh, before that light bulb co goes on and bam, they're, 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 they got it, you know? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think probably the most difficult thing for them is what we talked about earlier and being in that gap and understanding the decision-making of how long to stay and readjusting, constantly repositioning in the gap. Yep. So, for instance, there's a two-guard front, say, and, and, and the guard drives it towards the middle, and I'm guarding the other guard that he's bringing the ball to. And so, you know, I've, as long as he's got his man squared up, the ball mm -hmm. defender, then I'm – repositioning my gap and I continue to move along as my offensive player moves and the ball moves. I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing would be that in guarding the basketball, that I don't just escort that guy or ride his hip 
to the rim or into the lane that as soon as I'm starting to get beat, I get off and get ahead and reestablish my positioning. Those are probably the things I think that take a little bit. Sure. um, The longest to, to get our guys to do. We've got a young man from Carrollton high school in uh, outside of Dallas, Evan, Evan Anderson. I think Evan, I think Evan should have been, uh, a two-time player, two-time defensive player in our league already. His wow. synergy numbers, and we're you know it's kind yep. of so we have that stuff here at sure. this level that kind of rate where guys are and the yep. and the percentage of uh, field goal percentage they give up and how well how good a job they do in our defense. His are off the chart. Wow, he always yep. guards the other team's best player, whether yep. it's. Their point guard, or off guard, wing, sometimes even a big. I mean, he's going to guard that guy. Yep. And uh, he's just one of those guys, uh, Dan. When he came to us out of high school, he obviously had been very well coached. Mm-hmm. He uh, he had a really good feel for how to do the things we just talked about. Sure. So you get guys like that, and then you get other guys that don't have as much feel, but as they stay in it and develop yep. it, and they see guys around them that are that are just. Um, committed to yep. your culture, yep. uh, they're going to get it. Yep. Yep. I like that coach. And, and he is a fabulous defensive player looking at it. Uh, last question, coach. And thank you again for this, the time here, but advice for younger coaches, you know, you've been doing this a long time. I'm going to get your 600th win this year, 38 years starting this year, coach. What about guys just coming in, you know, uh, into our profession, any advice for the younger coaches out there? Yeah, I mean it's such a it's a it's just such a a, a vast question. Um, I, I think the most important thing is to be ready, to study mm-hmm. and be ready, to not you know not always think about the job, the next job you want, but focus on the job you're in and do the sure. best job you can like there. That. But prepare while you're there. Yep. You know, I do tell coaches all the time that. Um, one of the best things I did as a young assistant coach is I started putting, I started, I put together a notebook. You know, these, this is how I want to play. This is the philosophy I'm going to have yep. defensively, offensively. Um, you know, this is decisions I'm going to make in recruiting, how I'm going to hire staff, uh, how I want to run practice, what a practice is going to look like. And, you know, my first opportunity came late. Um, in the year, normally speaking, and I was blessed to work for a great head coach at Charleston Southern named Tommy Gaither. Yep. Gave me his blessing to go after and take the job, but I ended up taking the Cal PA job. My first day, my first day on the job was like November second. They were they were already two weeks into practice, and we literally had like ten days to get ready for our first game. And if I'd have walked in there and said, "Okay, now I'm the head coach. Now I got to figure out what I want to do with this stuff." Yeah, I would have been in a lot of trouble. Now, did I make some bad decisions? I guarantee you, I did. Did I make a lot of mistakes? Absolutely, I made mistakes. But I had a general idea. Of this is sure. how I want to do it. I had it on paper, and so I think that's an important thing. And then yep. again, just do a great job where you're at, and yep. the rest will take care of it. Uh, take care of the people you're working with and working mm-hmm. for, and particularly those young men that you're coaching every day. Right. And, and good things will happen for you. This is a great profession. Yeah, it I is. I think it's awesome. I was kidding, yep. kidding when we first started this that, you know, I, I tried to just, I, you know, I, 
I can't think of a better way to um, to do something than to do something that you absolutely love to do. Sure. Uh, and every day I get juiced up about going to work and working with our guys. Yep. It's yeah. Yep. Well, that's great stuff, Coach. I, I love that, that advice. And thank you again, Coach, for taking time out of your day to join Basketball on Brew. This conversation has been great about defense and, and just about your career. So I appreciate you so much. You're a fabulous coach and a fabulous man. Thank you, Coach. You're too kind, uh, Coach. I appreciate you and uh, wish you the very best. Best of luck with this podcast and also in your coaching career, which I know you're doing a great job with. And uh, hopefully we can uh, – sit down someday in person absolutely. have a have a sandwich and talk some more ball yeah absolutely look forward to it coach thank you very much thank you okay well that was great stuff from coach boone just a fabulous basketball coach so many experiences and we didn't get a chance to talk about his offense but he runs great motion offense wherever he's coaching and they have a great team coming back next year so excited to see what they do in a very tough lone star conference um, thank you again, everyone, for joining and watching tonight, uh, the Basketball and Brew podcast. I'd like to thank my producer, Jude McLaren, who makes all this happen and does a fabulous job. Uh, please do us a big favor by subscribing on YouTube. Um, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube before you sign off. If you're watching on Twitter, um, please hit that, hit that subscribe button right there also, or that follow button on Twitter. And we just really appreciate the audience and we, as we keep trying to grow our Basketball and Brew podcast. Look forward to a great podcast next week. But one more time, I want to thank our sponsors, Pie Society in San Marcos, Pizza, Beer, Spirits, great vibe, great time. And, of course, Zelix Ice House. Grab a group of friends and went to San Marcos, head there for happy hour, and you will have a fabulous time at Zelix. Thank you again. We look forward to the next episode of Basketball and Brew podcast coming soon.